The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. The Biden administration's botched and callous withdrawal from Afghanistan has provoked a humanitarian catastrophe. No one seriously disputes that except perhaps America's befuddled president. In this episode of Holy Smoke, we look at a crucial aspect of that catastrophe, one that will be spreading misery and death long after the tragic scenes at Kabul airport have come to an end. I'm referring to the coming devastating assault on religious freedom in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, the principal victims of which will, of course, be the wrong sort of Muslim, The religious police are already planning to create a living hell for Afghan women who aren't content to submit to brutal peasant Sharia. Is there anything the Biden administration can do to prevent the persecution of all but the most fanatical or fearful Afghan Muslims? It's hard to say, not least because religious freedom generally is so low down the list of priorities of a confused but opportunistic president and his savagely ideological vice-president, soon, of course, to be president herself. Say what you like about the Trump administration. It did take international and domestic religious freedom seriously. That was thanks in large part to former senator and Kansas governor Sam Brownback, Trump's ambassador-at-large for international religious freedom, who was relentless in drawing the world's attention to China's genocidal herding of the Muslim Uyghurs into concentration camps, its persecution of Tibetan Buddhists, members of Falun Gong, and, of course, Christians. It's worth remembering that Christians make up at least three-quarters of all the world's persecuted religious believers. In addition, Brownback made sure that the State Department highlighted Myanmar's ethnic cleansing of the Muslim Rohingya people, Biden has recruited as Brownback's successor Rashid Hussein, an attorney, Obama-era diplomat and academic. He still has to be confirmed by the Senate, and you're not going to hear me attacking him before he starts his job. He really does have an impressive record of tackling anti-Semitism in the Muslim world and also its mistreatment of Christians, for example the Egyptian Copts. He's defended the Uyghurs, too, as has Secretary of State Antony Blinken, one of whose first acts was to describe Beijing's hideous actions as genocide. In that respect, there's not much daylight between him and his predecessor, Mike Pompeo, who tried to see China's ally, Pope Francis, conspicuously silent on the Uyghur gulags, to persuade him to speak out. Francis, who you might consider himself to be a persecutor of Chinese Christians, He's trying to force Catholics into the state's puppet church. Predictably refused to see Secretary Pompeo. But what about the attitude towards religious freedom of the Biden administration as a whole? There are plenty of very bad omens. This is an administration in which pretty much everything has to be subordinated to the demands of gender ideology, and Christians who don't subscribe to that can go hang. 
maybe literally in some parts of the world. We're certainly very deep into partisan territory here. Alongside Mr. Hussein's nomination, we have the appointment of doctrinaire leftist Rabbi Sharon Kleinbaum as a US Commissioner on International Religious Freedom. Kleinbaum and her wife, Randy Weingarten, president of the Maine Teachers Union, are donors to the Democratic Party and, by any standards, hardline progressives. Rabbi Weingarten will serve alongside Kiers Khan, Biden's only other appointment to the commission. He's a Democratic Party activist and was a highly effective anti-Trump campaigner. He tragically lost a son in the Iraq war and, you may remember, spoke powerfully against Trump at the Democratic National Convention in 2016. Then there's another ambassadorial appointment. The distinguished historian of the Holocaust, Professor Deborah Lipstadt, will, if confirmed by the Senate, be special envoy for combating anti-Semitism. Lipstadt is very firmly on message. She's on record as comparing Donald Trump to Joseph Goebbels. And her increasingly strident leftist views are the subject of some controversy in her own Jewish community. And as for Christian appointments in the area of religious persecution, well, there aren't any. I've been speaking to Andrea Picciotti Bear, who runs the Conscience Project in Washington, D.C. Recently, it's been drawing attention to the many ways in which America's second Catholic president is planning to curtail, to put it mildly, the First Amendment rights of any Christians who subscribe to traditional conservative views on abortion, marriage and other issues. Some of them face losing their jobs, or if they're students or academics, run a very strong risk of being silenced or worse by ideological allies of the Biden administration. So the big question is this, what confidence can persecuted believers abroad have in the United States when its government is planning to abolish domestic religious freedoms that Americans have taken for granted for centuries? That's a question addressed in a new podcast series called Religious Freedom Matters, which The Conscience Project launched last week. Andrea's been on this podcast before. She certainly couldn't be described as a hardline member of the religious right. She actually began her career in the Justice Department of the Clinton administration. But she is very worried about this chaotic administration and its almost complete submission to progressive secularist dogma. Here's our conversation from a couple of days ago. Welcome back, Andrea, and congratulations on your new podcast, which I think is extremely timely given the imminent collapse of religious freedom in Afghanistan, in which the Biden administration is profoundly implicated. Absolutely. It's devastating, the situation that people are facing on the ground there. I first started worrying about, well, in fact, I never had any confidence in Biden's commitment to religious freedom, particularly the horrible people surrounding him. When I saw the list of people he had appointed to religious freedom posts, that's the overall ambassador and another ambassador, and they have to be approved by the Senate, and then there are nominees to his religious freedom body which don't have to be approved. But when I looked at the list and remembered Biden's promise to run an administration that looks like America, I thought, hang on, there's something missing here. If you could just take us through the list of people that the president has nominated or appointed, very briefly. 
Of course, of course. And I've written for this in Real Clear Politics. As you mentioned before, there are two ambassador positions. One that's very important, which is the ambassador at large for international religious freedom. The individual listed is an Obama administration representative that's been brought back in. And he would be the first Muslim head of this post, which does not exclude his capabilities or qualifications for it. It's it's a unique, and it could be a very timely position to have, especially given the unrest in Afghanistan. But all four positions, including an ambassador for diversity and some positions within the U.S. Commission of International Religious Freedom, they're highly partisan choices. And religious freedom, especially international religious freedom, has always been not a bipartisan issue, but a nonpartisan issue. And so the Biden administration really is injecting these political favors into an area that really politics shouldn't be moving anything at all. It really should be about complete and open ability to exercise your faith without coercion or any kind of impediments. And they really are partisan figures. I mean, for example, take somebody whom I wouldn't have thought of as especially partisan until recently, that's Professor Deborah Lipstadt, who's a much admired historian of the Holocaust. She took down David Irving in a London courtroom and was applauded for that. But during the Trump administration, she announced that Trump was basically like Goebbels. And that rather eroded her scholarly objectivity, shall we say, particularly as she was extremely reluctant to criticize left-wing militants who are violently opposed to the state of Israel. No, and that position in particular has received some pushback within the Jewish community saying, wait a second, whoa, this clearly is somebody who we valued, we treasured, we looked up to. And they put their love for Biden and their hatred for Trump above anything else. And so you can see that there's some chatter out there saying that this individual is really not fit for the post because there's concern that she's going to again be a puppet for the administration instead of an advocate for international religious freedom. And as a rabbi as well, isn't there? Of course, has to be a lesbian rabbi, it being the Biden administration. Nothing wrong with that, but she too appears to be very partisan, doesn't she? So the rabbi is Rabbi Sharon Kleinbaum, and she was a leader of a congregation in New York City, advisor to Mayor Bill de Blasio, and a campaigner, as you mentioned, for LGBTQ rights. She's married to Randy Weingarten, who is the current president of one of our country's largest teacher unions in the country, the American Federation of Teachers. Now, Kleinbaum and Weingarten are strong proponents of Democratic candidates. She's made sizable donations to the Biden campaign. And there's really a question about whether she can be, again, objective or she's going to be you know, a tool or a puppet for Biden. And then the fourth appointment is a Muslim guy. Again, nothing wrong with that. And seems to be a decent, upstanding man. But again, partisan. And he's Kasir Khan. Just tell us a little bit about him. So he's Pakistani-born, and he's the father of a U.S. Army captain who was killed in action in Iraq and part of a grieving family of of Army that have fallen in the line of duty. He's a Harvard-trained lawyer. He's described by the White House as an advocate for religious freedom, but he's better known for, again, brawling with the Trump campaign. He made headlines in 2016 at the Democratic National Convention when he harshly criticized then-Republican nominee for President Donald Trump, and again at the 2020 Democratic Convention 
Khan represented delegates from the Commonwealth of Virginia in voting for Biden. So the issue is, is he more interested in receiving accolades from the Biden administration or really pushing the interests of religious minorities and the persecuted abroad? And so you have a situation in which you have two Jewish appointees, stroke nominees, and two Muslim ones. Again, I'm fine with that, but there's something missing. Not one Christian. Last time I looked, not only was America majority Christian country, but the vast majority of people being persecuted in the world, some 80% are Christians. And that is an inexplicable gap. No, absolutely. Now, as you mentioned before, Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom under the Trump administration, Sam Brownback, who's a Catholic convert, was incredible in his role, and particularly in fighting for religious minorities in Muslim countries and for the Rohingya, for the Uyghurs in China. I think that we really need to push these nominees and say, put aside your own faith tradition and prove to us that you're going to be there for all faith traditions, especially for Christians that are persecuted in, in several hotspots across the world. Well, I don't think it's so much a question of putting aside their own faith tradition as putting aside their political allegiances. But that's something I think that's unlikely to happen in an administration that's so dominated by progressives, by the ideology of gender politics, as this one, and with a president who you know, barely knows what's going on, and in any case has, in my opinion, literally sold his soul as a Catholic by giving into the abortion industry so he could get elected. I think it's interesting that this administration stands accused of attempting to curtail religious freedom in the United States. And I think there's quite a lot of evidence of that. And your conscience project has assembled quite a lot of that evidence. And if you could just take us through one or two of the more worrying areas. Absolutely, Damien. You know, the issue is that we're having a clash. I don't think it's a necessary clash between different civil rights where they're coming up against religious, traditional religious belief. So we've had a number of cases that are going through our court system, through the Supreme Court. And the troubling signs that we're seeing is that the federal government is going to flip flop and abandon its previous pro-religion positions in the courts and become antagonists of religion, go back to the era where we were under the Obama administration, where you get the Little Sisters of the Poor and other sweet religious organizations being forced to provide contraceptives and abortion pills, where you get groups like the Philadelphia Foster Care Placement Agency run by the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, being told that they're no longer able to participate in the foster care program in the city unless they agree to endorse same-sex marriage. All of these are clashes that are coming. Typically, the federal government, and I worked at the Department of Justice, should be defending federal law, like the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, should be defending First Amendment rights in these contexts. And instead, they're siding, like you mentioned, with these progressive interest groups. And it's a real big disappointment to be able to think that a party that used to be for the little people now is really for progressive agenda. The Philadelphia case is a particularly troubling one because these weren't a bunch of bigots. I mean, the two plaintiffs in this case, if that's what you call them, were single mothers of color, as they say these days, foster care parents, fantastic foster care parents. But here's the thing. 
the Philadelphia Catholic Agency couldn't say, yeah, we'll take gay parents because that clashes with Catholic teaching and it would have lost its Catholic identity or its Catholic certification or whatever. But as I say, not a bunch of bigots because if a gay couple approached them, which none of them ever did, they'd say, here are agencies that will place children with gay couples. Now that's not right-wing bigotry, is it? And yet they were stomped on very, very hard by an incredibly ideological city of Philadelphia. And things looked really rather creepy until finally the Supreme Court stepped in, which it has on several occasions, hasn't it? It has, Damien. And in, in the case of, of the Fulton versus Philadelphia case, they were overwhelming and unanimous, nine to zero, which is kind of unheard of when you get to a, an issue that touches upon you know, kind of cultural warfare. Nine to zero, the Supreme Court, all justices said the city of Philadelphia overstepped their bounds and was forcing unnecessarily and unconstitutionally the agency and the foster moms to do what was against their will and their conscience. It's really unprecedented, and it really should be a wake-up call to federal, state, local government officials that are trying to bully these faith-based groups and individuals into basically operating inconsistent with their belief systems. Absolutely. And, you know, everybody goes on about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and there's so much horror at the appointment of Amy Coney Parrott from liberal circles. But I have no doubt that RBG would have been with the majority on this one because it was so grotesquely unfair. It was, and I can't say worse than this, it was as grotesquely unfair as Pope Francis's new attempt to ban the Latin mass. I have zero confidence in the Biden administration as far as religious freedom is concerned. You see it at home trying to curtail religious freedom. You see the betrayal of its allies in Afghanistan. And one of the immediate and dramatic consequences of what's happening in Afghanistan is, First of all, there will be persecution of the small number of Christians there, without any doubt whatsoever, but also any Muslims who don't fit the bill, who have modernised, as many people have in Afghanistan since last time the Taliban were in power, women particularly, will be stomped on even more savagely than Catholics in Philadelphia, in fact, far more savagely. No, it's, it's devastating. And I think if anyone can get out these images out of their minds, the notion of passing your newborn or your toddler baby through a throng of people over a wall, a security wall, to armed soldiers from a different country to save your child because you're afraid of what your country will become is something that should shock the conscience. We need to do something whether you agree or disagree with the pullout, whether you agree or disagree with, yeah, I don't think anyone can agree that it was done well, but the fact remains that there are people that are trapped in Afghanistan and are going to be targeted, subjected, and faith is going to be a marker. It's going to be a bullseye on people's foreheads and around their homes. And already we've heard terrible news reports of the Taliban knocking on doors and trying to identify who is is not the right believer. And what happened to nice Joe Biden? And he did seem nice a few years ago. I remember seeing him on television a few times, relax. Okay, he was a Catholic with very heterodox views on abortion, but he seemed to have shown a lot of personal courage in dealing with tragedies. 
And yet when he appears on television now, he seems cold and angry and uncaring. Now, I have to say a little bit of me wondered if the anger might be a symptom of his dementia, because he does have dementia and outbursts of anger are a symptom of dementia. But I must say, this is a president who appears not to care. Well, one of the things that's really characterized America for so long has been our compassion for the vulnerable. If we think about, you know, welcoming in the immigrant and and that's part of the fabric of our tradition, turning our eye away from human suffering, whether it's, you know, just because of a lack of resources or in this case, because of a full frontal attack on people that don't believe the way that the Taliban wants you to believe. We need to do something. It's actually part of our foreign policy to care about religious freedom. It's built into there by law. And failing to respond to that, failing to lead on that issue is a grave offense against the rule of law and against American tradition. And I'm hoping, hoping that someone within that administration is going to start speaking up, even if the president remains silent and callous. People have to start standing up to this. They do. But don't expect the Catholic Church to do it. I mean, they don't count on it. Now, your excellent new six-part podcast series, Religious Freedom Matters, is run by the Conscience Project and also hosted by National Catholic Register. So it has a Catholic flavor, but I think it's a much wider interest. And I think the series is fantastic. You know how much confidence I have in the Catholic Church right now? Zero. I mean, the Catholic Church has sold Chinese Catholics down the river, It's turning its guns on Catholics who adopt the ancient liturgy in the West, absolutely disgracefully. And we have seen over the last couple of years that the Vatican is grotesquely biased towards the Biden administration, pathologically frightened of criticizing it in any way. And look at some of the American bishops. They they, they made such an incredible noise, perhaps justified about Trump's border policy, and they're making rather less noise about Biden's atrocious record in Afghanistan, these terrible unfolding events, because he's a Democrat and they don't want to be associated with criticism of Biden because that might mean they're favoring Trump or whatever. Yet again, it's the story of the modern Catholic Church. Politics trumps theology or simple compassion. Damien, I want to interject. I want to say one thing that as a faithful Catholic, I know that the church is more than just our hierarchy and our leadership. It is each person sitting in the pew. And now is the time for each of us to respond. You and I are both friends of Father Benedict Keeley, an incredible English priest who, in response to the massacre of Christians going on in the Holy Land and in the Middle East, created his own organization, Nazarene.org. And gave his time, his talents, and shed a spotlight on the suffering. But in addition to that, helped work with people to rebuild. This is a calling that all of us have as Catholics. It's built into the social teaching of the Catholic Church, and it's not dependent on the leadership. We have to work together as a community, but we can't be sitting back waiting for the church, official church, to respond. It's not something that's necessary And it's also, as you've mentioned, it's a complicated issue. Our hierarchy's got a whole mess of problems, but that shouldn't be a barrier from us responding to those in need. I think that's a really great message, actually, Andrea. I couldn't agree more about Father Ben Keeley. What a contrast between the Pope signing this diabolical deal with Beijing, which will force Catholics to attend masses 
in which hymns are sung to the president of China, and Father Ben, who risks his life to build businesses for persecuted Christians in the Middle East. My goodness, there couldn't be a greater spiritual contrast. By the way, he's a priest of the ordinariate. Let's point that out. So I think generally, at a time when, to be honest, I think the Vatican is, in a sense, sort of messes the Biden administration in some ways. I feel it's falling apart. There's a sort of end times feel about it, as far as I'm concerned. This is a time when Catholics and other Christians faced with incompetent church leadership, because it's a problem for a lot of Anglicans as well, when you look at, well, these useless managerial, highly politicizable leadership. It is a time to take action, to actively support and give money to charities that are working to free Christians, some of whom have been enslaved with the complicity of prelates, disgracefully. So I do urge everybody to listen to Andrea's podcast, which you can find at conscience-project.org. And Andrew, let's look at what happens in Afghanistan over the next few days. I'm not optimistic, and I don't think you are either. But I do know that we can pray, and we have to. Andrea, thank you very much. Thank you, Damon. That was Andrea Petrotti-Bear, who I don't think should mind me pointing out, in addition to fighting tirelessly for conscience rights, is the mother of 10 children. And if I could just leave you with a final thought. There are chilling similarities between President Joe Biden and Pope Francis. Here are two older men, aged 78 and 84 respectively, though I think mentally Francis is many years younger than Biden, who find themselves, well, the two most powerful men in the world. And as such, they have unique authority to champion the cause of persecuted religious believers. But both of them have, over time, drifted leftwards to a position where their willingness to speak out is dependent on political contingencies. But it's actually worse than that. Biden wants to trample on conscience rights in America, Francis has already betrayed Chinese Catholics, and is plotting what could be a really brutal campaign against his own traditionalists. Which leaves us with the horrifying question, are they for or against religious persecution?